Father, if any soil is going to be good, it's only because of Your, your grace. It's only because of Your directing. And uh, Lord, would pray, Father, that the, the seeds that have been sown or the, the beginning of relationships that have been started. God, I pray that we would always have a, an eye towards eternity. God, never merely being content just to know people and to just know names of neighbors, but may You push us, O oh Lord, to to share the Gospel with them. And uh, Father, would pray that You, by Your grace, might convict people of their sin, that they might see and understand their sin and willingly go to hell, that they might see their sin and, and cry out to Christ. Uh, I, I pray for our, our neighborhood. Uh, Lord, would pray that we might be able to have this group of people interested in hearing about their marriage and as the art of marriage so well speaks of the Gospel. Just over six weeks to have a chance to clearly share with people in our neighborhood. I pray You'd give that opportunity and strengthen marriages in the, in the meantime. I pray for Phil. Just I thank You for his labor as we have talked over the months um, just of his, of his taking people out to dinner, of his going to people's houses, those who don't know Christ, and of uh, opening the Word to them and pointing them to repentance and pointing them to Jesus and texting them. Thank you for his tireless efforts on that. And God, and as the, the soil has proven hard, I, I pray you'd encourage him more, particularly with these two other people at, at CrossFit. I pray you'd help him develop and foster things there. For Darcy's opportunity for discipleship, I, I pray that you'd, God, cause that to, to go well. Um, and even my dad's opportunity at um, uh, this, these reunions, 50 years and 60 years, I pray that would give us courage and a vision of, of those relationships we have with long-distance people, perhaps, to get good gospel material into their hands. would pray for many. They might read his book, which is a, a soft and easy reading book, and yet has much gospel light in, the, in there. And so I pray that you would help there. Pray for Karen. I thank you how she has bloomed, where she's been planted, how she has just pressed on um, God to do what, what she can do. And, and Lord, would pray that you would I just give her strength to love these kids that are in her home now, uh, to love other kids in the future. Thank you for the way that she loved yesterday. And Lord, would pray that you would God, bring forth great fruit of that um, that would long outlive her. Um, so, Lord, we know that if, if anyone's going to come to Christ, it's because of you. And yet we need to be faithful. Uh, Father, I just also would pray, thank you for Tom Wetech and the way that he has passed out thousands of tracts here in the Rockford area and for even hearing about Ryan McDowell and his preaching up in Beloit. Lord, would pray that you would bring forth fruit from all of these efforts, God, as we seek to be faithful to tell others of, of their sin and of the Savior. Um, God, so, so help us. God, encourage us by bringing us people who, who come to know Christ through our words. May that encourage us all the more then to press on and to share, God, the the truth of Christ crucified for our sins. And I pray now as we direct our hearts, attention to Your Word, um, help us, O Lord, to see it and to embrace it, believe it, and may it stir our hearts this morning. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, this week witnessed uh, an event known around the world that uh, we might experience only a few times in our lifetime. It's the birth of a, a royal baby. The, uh, the baby's been anticipated for several months now, ever since news got out that, that uh, Catherine, Duchess of Cambridge, was pregnant. 
And it was a couple, I was thinking back in March, as I did some research on this, apparently she made some kind of verbal slip that everyone said, oh, it's going to be a girl. But it was a boy. This past Monday, July 22nd, she gave birth to a baby boy. Who knows her name? The name of the baby boy. Do you know his name? No way. George. Okay, good. King George, he may be someday. George Alexander Louis, third in the line to the throne. Uh, may well become King George VII someday. Well, this morning as we come to the Scriptures, we're going to come to a royal psalm. Psalm 132. So I invite you to open your Bibles there to Psalm 132. Of course, this is one of the songs of ascent that we've been going through from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. This is number 12 as we've kind of been bouncing around. I'll be on vacation the next two weeks. Uh, Phil is preaching next week from Acts chapter 8. Uh, Darren is preaching the week after that from Micah chapter 4. I'm, I'm thrilled for these men because they get to like prepare messages for months rather than just preparing message week by week. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing them by podcast as uh, I'm gone. It'd be great. But today we're at Psalm 132. Before we read it, I want you just to look at it. And just merely by looking at it, you can say that, well, this one's a little bit different than all the other songs of a sense. This one, what's different? What's the big difference about this one? It's bigger. How many verses is it, McKaylee? Alexa? 18 verses. And the next biggest song of ascents is Psalm 122, only has nine. This is twice as big as the, the longest one. And um, I just say that to say we got a lot of work cut out for this morning. Um, also, with I know the testimony time, my time is going to be a little bit shorter today, and I'm, I'm ready for that. I, I'm ready to preach for an hour, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to shorten things on the fly. It'll be okay. But also, not only do we have our work cut out for us in the length of the psalm, the difficulty of the psalm. Of all the psalms in a sense, I found this one to be... Uh, psalm 120, I think, was like one of the ones I was scared with. And Psalm 132 is one that I was really scared about because it is really hard to synthesize. And if you would have seen me in my office this week, uh, you'd have seen me on the wrestling mat as I was, I was wrestling with this, this text, trying to, trying to really figure out how to, how to open it up, how to, how to break it out, how to, how to pull it together. Because there are all these themes from all over the place. And so I'm going to give it my shot today. Um, I'll let you judge how accurate that, that shot is, but uh, I think it holds some weight. It's how I've put together Psalm 132. So let's read the psalm. A song of a sense. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf, all his affliction. How he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until... I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the field of Jaar. Let us go into his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon your throne forever. 
For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for His habitation. This is My resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation, and her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall shine. There is a royal psalm. It's a psalm about David in some regards. King David is mentioned four times in this psalm. In verse 1, in verse 10, in verse 11, and in verse 17. But the psalm really is not so much about David. Even though he's mentioned a lot, it's really not about him. It's like the birth of the baby in England isn't so much about the baby. As much as about the monarchy. As much as about the lineage. As much as about the dynasty and the, the dreams for the future. And about how this could be a king someday. The mention of David here isn't so much about him. But it is about what he changed or what he affected. Um, it has to do with how his life directly affected the pilgrim going up to worship the Lord. It's, it's about the promises that God made to David, which lasted for years and years and generations and generations after David died, which affect the worshiper coming to Jerusalem. So, so David's kind of pulled in as a historical figure because he impacts the worshiper coming in. That's where I think that the, the focus is there, the importance of Psalm 132 is. It, it is the focus all upon Zion, the place of worship for these pilgrims, the, the destination of their travels, the dwelling place of God is in Zion, is in Jerusalem. It's a, a theme we pick up in the Old Testament. Time and time again, we, we hear of how God chose to dwell in Jerusalem, how He chose to put His name there. Like, like for instance, just turn forward to Psalm 135, the very last verse of that psalm. Blessed, verse 21, Blessed be the Lord from Zion, who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. God dwells in Jerusalem and blessed be the Lord. Jerusalem is where God chose to dwell. And likewise, one of the things we see in Scripture is that not only did God dwell there, but the people have a great heart for Jerusalem. Turn over forward to Psalm 137, verses 5 and 6. Look at the, the heart that people have for this place of worship. If I forget you, Psalm 137, verse 5. If I forget you, O Jerusalem... May my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. In other words, the people of God have a heart for Jerusalem. They have a heart there to see God working in His place where He chose to dwell. At least that's where the Old Testament people were, the Old Testament saints. Today it's different after Christ. In Psalm 132, we see these, these two ideas coming together of God delighting in Zion and, and everything that, God, that David did for Zion and the people going up to Zion to worship. We see them coming together. In fact, that's the heart of the psalm where I want to begin. I want to begin in verses 7 through 9. Here's my first point. Meet us in Jerusalem. This is a prayer to God and saying, God, <clears throat> meet us in Jerusalem. Be there when we get there. Verse 7. <clears throat> Let us go into His dwelling place. Let us worship at His footstool. Arise, O Lord, to Your resting place. You in the ark of Your strength. 
Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your godly ones sing for joy. And, and, and the focus of these, these pilgrims is upon anticipating what they're going to experience here in a little bit. They're anticipating a, a meeting with God going, verse 7, to the dwelling place of God, going up to the temple. And they were calling God, verse 8, to meet him there, saying, Arise, O God. To your resting place. We want to go to your dwelling place. We want to go to your resting place. So, so let's, let's meet there, O Lord. That's the title of my message this morning. Arise, O Lord. You can put it at the beginning of each point. Arise, O Lord. Meet us in Jerusalem. Come and be there with us. Because this is what the, the, the psalmist wanted. This is what the people wanted. They, when they got to Jerusalem, they wanted to meet God. Sure, they're going to be with other people. Sure, they're going to be sacrifices. But fundamentally, they wanted to come and be with God. And you can almost take this application straight to us at this point. Because let me remind you again what Jerusalem was to those in the Old Testament, the church is to us today. And the parallels can, can come almost straight. Let, let us go into His dwelling place and arise, O Lord, to Your resting place. It's the sort of thing that should take place at Rock Valley Bible Church week in week out when we assemble together. Sure, we assemble in this building. But we want God to be here, don't we? We, we want God to meet with us. And, and, and so even as we, we sing or we pray or we give testimony, it's all about God be with us. We, we want to be with Him is what we want to do. We want to know His presence and, and hear His Word and, and plead His help and sing His praise. We want all to be done for His glory. In fact, that's what verse 9 gives us a picture of. It gives us a picture of what, what a gathering a worship that's pleasing to God looks like. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. And let your godly ones sing for joy. Because this is our hope, right? We want to come to Him with purity. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. We, we want to be righteous people walking in the ways of God. But we also want to sing with joy. Let your godly ones sing with joy. That's why we do sing. Just, just singing with, with thankfulness to God and with joy to God. And, and seeing those two things coming together. Righteous leaders, joyful saints. And I just say it doesn't get any better than that. You want to evaluate a church? You say they have righteous leaders, so they have joyful saints. Verse 9. God will be there. And in this sense, Psalm 132 is a, is a perfect song of ascent. It, it pictures the people of God traveling to where God dwells. It, it pictures these people going to meet Him and worship Him there. And it pictures God coming down and being with them. Now, it's interesting, as we work through the songs of ascent. Rare has been the song, the psalm, that, that has us traveling up to Jerusalem and, and being there and then worshiping. In fact, there's only one other psalm that does that. Look at Psalm 122. Psalm 122. I was glad, David writes, when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He was in his office, in his study, in his throne. He said, hey, it's time to go to the house of the Lord. And he was excited. And so he went and then he got there and he says, verse 22, we're there. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. So he's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's mentioned. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together to which the tribes go up, even tribes of the Lord, an ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Let's go to Jerusalem in chapter verses 2 through 4 there. There in Jerusalem, according to the command of God, giving thanks to the Lord. That is a song of ascent. And so likewise, Psalm 132 is a song of ascent as we go and we get there. 
And that's not to say other psalms haven't related to worship. They all have. Every single one of them relate us to worship in some regards. Psalm 121, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains where I'm headed to worship. Or Psalm 123, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Or Psalm 124, verse 6, blessed be the Lord. Or Psalm 130, verse 1, out of the depths I have cried to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. There's worship going on, but there's not just this direct traveling to Jerusalem to worship and having God there. And that way, Psalm 132 is, is explicit. We're going to Jerusalem to worship. And may the Lord meet us there. In fact, I believe that this entire psalm is a plea that God would meet the people in worship. Meet us in Jerusalem. And this, by the way, is where it starts getting interesting. Because Israel is going to Jerusalem. In their travels, they're pleading that God would be there. Arise, O Lord, you in the ark of your strength. Arise to your dwelling place. Aware of the fact, catch this, that he might not come. I'm not sure if you thought about that. When we think of God, we think about Motel 6. Hotel 6, I forget what it's called. Is it Motel or Hotel 6? Motel? Motel 6, right? What's the theme of Motel 6? We will we'll leave the light on for you, right? And, and we, have this, we have this idea, correct idea, that God is always there. That, that, that God is there to the one who, who calls out. The God, God will, but, but could you imagine, even what would it be different if we were gathering to Rock Valley Bible Church and we felt the knees, God, come and make sure you're there at Rock Valley Bible Church? It's kind of kind of puts things in perspective. What if God maybe wouldn't be here unless we call Him here? Would that kind of stir our hearts a little bit different? Indeed, God is always there for us. New Testament times, Jesus promised to be with us always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us always. We have His Spirit dwelling in us. Two of the persons of the Trinity are with us all the time. We have that promise. But for ancient Israel, it wasn't necessarily the case that God would be waiting for them in Jerusalem. The prophet Ezekiel saw a vision how the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple. And when the temple was destroyed, God wasn't dwelling there like He had before. Now certainly there is hyperbole and there's picture and there's mystery in this. God was, was, was with people in the Old Testament as much as He's with people today. But there's very much this sense where where we want to make sure that God is there and with us. That's the big request of this psalm. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. And I do believe that verse 8 is the, the key verse that opens up everything of the psalm. It's what the psalm all, all wanted. See, um, without that, it, I think the psalm is difficult to, to put together. In fact, I believe that's why we see the prayer. Verse 1, Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf all his affliction. Here's what verses 1-6 through I believe are talking about. Remember David's heart. Oh God, remember David's heart. Remember, O Lord, on David's behalf. The psalm is not written by David. You can see right there in verse 1. These are somebody after David who says, Okay, let's think about David. Let's look at his heart for you, O God. And remember all his affliction. Like remember all the difficulty that he went through to ensure that we have a place in which to come and worship. 
This psalm is bringing up David and, and seeking this place to worship. Look at verse 2. How, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the Mighty One of Jacob. This is David's words. I will not enter my house nor lie on my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the Mighty One of Jacob. Here you just see David's resolve to, to find uh, a place for the house of God, to find a place for which God to dwell. Now, these exact words don't appear anywhere else in the Scripture in the Old Testament. So it's not like I can take you to Second Chronicles someplace or First Chronicles or First Samuel and show you where David said this. But they're probably referring to the great Davidic covenant of Second Samuel 7, where David expressed his desire to build a house for the Lord in Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 7, Now it came about that when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest on every side because of his enemies, from his enemies, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within tent curtains. And the implication is, I want to go and build this house for God. Nathan said, Okay, go. That was David's heart. He loved Jerusalem. He longed for the temple to be nice and solid, with solid walls, solid ceiling, a permanent place like he had to dwell in in his palace. He longed for God to have a place to dwell that was like permanent, set in stone. And, and, and you remember, just even thinking about David's heart for, for things. Remember when the Ark of the Covenant came to Jerusalem in the first place? Before it was in Jerusalem, it was in the house of Abinadab who lived in Kiriath-Jerim. You can read about 1 Samuel 7. And that's probably the reference here to verse 6. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. Ephrathah is a region. We found it in the field of Ja'ar. Ja'ar is the short name for Kiriath Ja'arim. Just like we call Washington, D.C. D.C. And we call Los Angeles L.A. And we call Chicago Chi-Town maybe. Right? Just reducing things. They called Kiriath Ja'arim Ja'ar. From Ja'arim. Ja'arim is merely the pure plural of Ja'ar. And this was in the region of Ephrathah. They found it. They, they found the ark there in this place. And, and shortly after David conquered the Jebusites in Jerusalem, he then ordered that the ark come up into Jerusalem. They, they met a problem when they, they rode it on a cart and Uzzah touched it. And so it remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. But after that, then it came into the temple. And you remember what happened? When it came into Jerusalem. Maybe you kids remember what happened when it came into Jerusalem. Is David a little bit excited? What did he do? He can't. The ark is here! The ark is here! Woohoo! The ark is here! Now, if I look like a fool, remember Micah, his wife didn't really appreciate how foolish David looked. But he was so excited, it didn't matter how foolish he looked. He was pumped up that the ark was coming in. And that's probably even the historical picture of verse 8. Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. So he's, he's bringing God, if you will, he's bringing the ark of the covenant up into Jerusalem, into the resting place there for God. It's probably a historical setting. I think the way it's used here, though, in verse 8, is bigger for the people of Israel to say, God, we want you to come to your resting place. Meet us there in Jerusalem. 
But here's what David did. He vowed he wasn't going to sleep or slumber. He's going to find a place for the Lord. When he brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he was super excited. But did you actually realize also that it was David who bought the Temple Mount? In uh, the end of 2 Samuel, you can read it in 2 Samuel 24, you can read the story how he purchased the threshing floor, this flat place from Arowana, the Jebusite, as a place for the temple. Arowana said, hey, I'll just give it to you. And David said, refuse. He said, no, I will surely buy it from you for a price, for I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, which cost me nothing. He bought the place. First of all, he conquered Jebus. He conquered the city. He, he had a heart for the ark to be in there. He bought the place. And do you realize that of anybody on the planet, he donated more financially than anybody else to build the final temple? You can read about how much he contributed in First Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 9. He contributed this much. And all of Israel combined contributed a little bit more. He was the chief contributor of anybody else to build this tabernacle. And, and I think that's the point of verses 1-6. through six. Remember David's heart for worship. His heart was to build you and us a place where we can meet you. And, and he went through immense pains and troubles. I, I believe that the afflictions here are talking about just how he's, he's going to go at this. He's going to swear and say, I'm not even going to rest until I find a place for God. He purchased the property, brought the Ark of Covenant in, gave to the construction of the temple. So for the sake of David and his heart to worship you, don't neglect him. Don't forget him. Don't neglect his offspring. Or as I say at verses 10 through 12, don't neglect your anointed. Point number three, verses 10 through 12. Look what it says. For the sake of David, your servant, do not turn away the face of your anointed. The Lord has sworn to David a truth from which he will not turn back. Of the fruit of your body I will set upon your throne. If your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon the throne forever. And again, this brings us back to 2 Samuel chapter 7 when David expresses his heart to build a house for the Lord. God responded in an interesting way. When David says, I want to build a house for you, do you remember what God said? He said, no. He said, instead, I'm going to build a house for you, David. Real play on words. There are a twist there. The, the, the word for house has several connotations. It can refer to a house where we dwell. It can refer to the temple, like it did in Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. Let's go up to the, the temple. So it can mean a house. It can mean a temple. But it also can mean a dynasty, a house, a lineage. A son after son after son after son after son who sits upon the throne forever. And in 2 Samuel 7, it's used all these ways. David said, I live in a house with walls and ceilings and floors. And I will build a house for the Lord, a temple where sacrifices will be made. And the Lord through Nathan said this, 2 Samuel 7:11, The Lord will make a house for you. That is a dynasty, the succession of sons who will reign as kings after you. And God says, 2 Samuel 7, 16, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. And your throne will be established forever. You are going to have this lineage forever from the house of David. That's why David's so important here with, with Jerusalem. He, he provided everything in his anguish. So don't forget him. But, but also God promised to bless 
his lineage, his home. And, and that's what we see in verse 11 through and 12. Of the fruit of your body, I will set upon your throne. I'm going to set your son and your grandson and your great-grandson and your great-great-great-grandson on the throne. And if your sons will keep my covenant and my testimony, which I will teach them, their sons also shall sit upon the throne. It went on and on. It was to David first and then to Solomon and Rehoboam and then Abijah and Asah and Jehoshaphat and Jehoram and Ahaziah and Athaliah and Johash and Amaziah, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, all, all the way down. Just God's promise was faithful to all these sons of David. But there's one problem. Do you see the problem? It's a two-letter word, if. Verse 12. If your sons will keep my covenant. What if they don't keep the covenant? Well, they won't sit upon the throne. And effectively, their face will be turned away. And God here says, verse 10, For the sake of David, who longed to see worship of you take place in Jerusalem, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And bringing it back to our day, we might, might say it this way. Don't neglect the king. This new baby has been born. And, and this is one of the anointed ones that will arise. And so don't turn the face away. It's a prayer for the son of the king. And here it says, God, don't neglect the little one. Bring him up in your ways. Teach him your covenant. Keep him in the covenant. Or, by the way, think about this. God exerts your sovereignty over the will of this boy so that he continues in the covenant, so he can sit upon the throne, so we can continue to have your, your people there. God is totally sovereign over the wills of men, over the kings, right? Proverbs 22, verse 1. The, the, the king's heart is like rivers of water in a channel. God moves it wherever he wants. And here's the prayer that says, God, move it towards the covenant in the right way. Saying, God, you move his will. Well, the sad news is this, that God didn't always answer that prayer. He let the kings go do what they wanted to do. The kings came from David's line, were often unfaithful to that covenant. They failed to keep his testimony. But God was faithful. He promised to David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. You say, how can that be done? How can, how can David's throne last forever? There's only two ways. Either he has son after son after son after son after son after son after son who are all Faithful to the covenant because they all die. Or he can have one son who is forever faithful, who lives forever, who can sit upon that throne forever himself. And as the sons showed themselves to be unfaithful, like Abijah, unfaithful at a, at a short reign, or Manasseh, Asa, who failed in the end, all these unfaithful kings. That wasn't the way to do it. The way to do it was to have the anointed one. He didn't turn away the face of his anointed. Maybe Hebrew helps here a little bit. Verse 10, For the sake of your servant, do not turn away the face of your Meshiach, which is Messiah. Messiah means anointed one. It means the Christ Sure, every king was God's anointed, but there was one anointed one who was the Messiah who would come. And his face 
didn't turn back. Jesus was faithful unto death. He, he loved His disciples to the end. He lived completely without sin. He paid for our sins upon the cross and He's the one who now sits upon the throne and He's the one who will rule and reign over the house of David forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And each week as we come into our Jerusalem to worship our anointed, our Lord, we can look to our King. We can know by faith that our sins are forgiven and by grace we can enjoy fellowship with Him. And here after the cross, we can comfort the fact that verse 10 has been answered. The Anointed One has been faithful. So we can, we can enter worship in a way the travelers of Jerusalem could only imagine. They had to imagine that the King would be faithful and that God's promises would still come to this faithful King and that, they, that God would meet them there in Jerusalem. But as the kings lost their faithfulness and Jerusalem was ransacked, those promises, that wasn't there. The hope and expectation. They couldn't worship in Jerusalem because they were in exile in the Babylon. But the good news of us is that as we gather in Rock Valley Bible Church, our anointed King, the Lord Jesus Christ, has remained faithful. And He's been the one who has reconciled us to the Lord. We, we, can, we can enter the worship of the Lord in such a different way. And I, I pray that that today might stir your heart to worship Him more boldly. Well, let's quickly look at my last point. Point number one, meet us in Jerusalem. Verses 7-9. through nine, right? Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Arise, O Lord. Remember David's heart for worship. And he did all this to establish your place. Number three, don't neglect your anointed. Don't neglect your king so that, so that he'll be there. He'll still sit on the throne so that, that the temple will be there and the ark and your presence will be there. But finally, arise, O Lord. Keep your promises. Verses 13 through 18. For the Lord has chosen Zion. This is God's choice, not David's choice. It's not like David said, this is where I'm going to go. God directed him and said, that's the place I want. God has desired it for His habitation. God has never dealt with His people or dwelt with His people in, a, in an unreserved, um, undesired way, but He has desired it. And then, you notice there's some quotes here. This is what God says. God says, This is my resting place. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her needy with bread. Her priests also I will clothe with salvation. And her godly ones will sing aloud for joy. There I will cause the horn of David to spring forth. I have prepared a lamp for mine anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown will shine. This is classic. Use God's words against himself. Use God's words to your favor. I'd encourage you to do this all the time. Find promises of God and pray them back to God. If any prayer that you ever have, assurance is going to be answered, that's the prayer. Is a, a promise that God's make. You just say, okay, God, here's your promise and bring it back to God. And that's all the psalmist is doing here in verse 13. God expressed His desire for Zion. He's a heart for Jerusalem, a heart for a place of worship. In verse 14, you say this, God, you, you said that you're going to dwell there. You've not been forced into that. This is your desire. This has been your heart. And verse 15, you've promised to provide for Jerusalem. You've promised to supply all of her needs. So supply her needs according to your promise, O Lord. In verse 16, you've promised that your priests would be clothed with salvation. So clothe them with salvation. Let your leaders know you. Let, not just about you. Let, let your leaders know 
you and guide us in our ways. You promised that your godly ones would sing aloud for joy. So give us joy, O Lord. Give us songs to sing and hear our praise. Verse 17, you have promised the horn of David to spring forth. The, the horn there is a symbol of strength. So, so let your anointed, right? The, let the horn of David, let, let the anointed rule and reign. Let Jesus rule and reign. You promised your anointed would have a lamp, so let Jesus shine. This is, this is no different than the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let Jesus rule and reign in all of his strength and majesty. You've promised that. Let this come to pass. Verse 18, his enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown will shine. Jesus will be victorious. His enemies will be crushed. So help us, O Lord, and be with us as we come to worship you. Right? Keep your promises. You've promised that Jerusalem will be a place, so let's, let's, we're, we're praying that. We're longing for that at the end. So, let's step back. That is Psalm 132. The, the, psalmist, the people are saying, Arise, God, and be there. Meet us when we're there. Remember all that it cost David. Remember your promise to his offspring and then keep those promises, O God. And for us today, we can come and worship the Lord knowing that He has kept the promises in Jesus Christ. That we can come and worship Him in the full knowledge of knowing that, that He's the anointed one who sits upon the throne. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. He will be here. And I, I just believe it ought to stir our hearts to worship. That we don't necessarily in this day and age need to say, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place. Because Jesus is there. And yet I do believe that heart should be there. That when we come and gather, we ought to, we ought to be people who say, God, be with us and meet with us and change us and conform us to the image of Your Son. Well, let's pray. Father, I pray that these things might, uh, might be in our hearts. God, that You would help us, O oh Lord, to, to realize what a privileged place that we, we live in. God, after the cross, there are many tenuous things here that we don't have to battle with but that we can trust that Jesus has accomplished His work and He's ruling and reigning. His arms are open wide. He says, Come unto Me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How we can come into His rest and we can enter into His full worship. God, His tabernacle is in the heavens. God, someday the New Jerusalem will come down upon the earth, a city, a thousand miles square. And Father, we long for that day when, when You dwell with us and we don't need a sun any longer because the Lord illumines everything. Um, Father, that's the day we, we look forward to. And Lord, I would pray You would help Psalm 132 to conform us in our worship, God, to You, that we would be like Your godly ones who sing for joy. We thank You, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.